Welcome to the Open Deeply Podcast, where guests open up and dive deep into the vulnerable experiences that shape them. We believe life storytelling has power, the power to heal and inspire others. Your journey towards finding your sexual and personal truth starts now. Here are your hosts, Sunny Megatron and Kate Laurie. Welcome to the Open Deeply Podcast. Let's get started. I'm super excited. Sunny, why don't you introduce yourself? I am super excited as well, Kate. I'm Sunny Megatron. I'm a sexuality educator. I co-host my own TV show about sex and kink. It's called Sex with Sunny Megatron. It airs on Showtime. I also co-host the American Sex Podcast. And in my personal life, I'm married, non-monogamous, biracial, queer, I practice kink, and I'm the parent of two adult children. And my name is Kate Lurie. I'm a sex-positive psychotherapist. I've been doing psychotherapy for 17 years. I specialize in the non-monogamous kink sex worker and LGBTQ communities. I'm also an art therapist and a trauma therapist. Uh, I have a book on conscious, compassionate non-monogamy that's due out next year around April. And personally, I identify as white, non-monogamous, kinky, pansexual, with the pronouns she and her. Now, you might be thinking, what happens when a sex-positive educator and a sex-positive shrink who have shared a vision of a cultural revolution have a baby? Well, you get this podcast. This is our baby. So you might be wondering, what does this baby look like? Well, you got a hint from the intro, but you still may be envisioning kind of the expected, maybe something similar to American sex or sex out loud, but no. Instead, our podcast is going to be a platform for guests to get vulnerable and tell their truth. Now, being vulnerable is never easy. It takes courage, especially in America, where culturally we have an extreme negative bias towards, for instance, Uh, sexuality, sexual authenticity that falls outside of cis-het norms, the experience of people of color, or the experience of porn performers and sex workers, just to name a few. But it's only the collective power of vulnerability that can overthrow all that. This podcast is your vulnerability hub. Vulnerability has the power to illuminate, connect, and build compassion for ourselves or others. So it's worth it. Every guest will be giving us and you a gift as they show you their tender story and dare to open deeply. So we have many intentions and maybe Sunny, you can start off with your intention. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, bottom line, I want to help people embrace their personal truths and understand that they aren't broken. So many people come to me, am I broken? And in that respect, representation matters in every single aspect. And of course, yes, we need to see and interact with other people that look like us, that live the same lifestyle as us. But when it comes to those deeper things, like our individual personal struggles or our relationship with ourselves, we are all collectively accustomed and conditioned to putting on our best face. You know, we have this compulsion that's influenced by our backward societal norms, that compulsion to present as 
absolutely perfect. Everything's fine. We have it all together. We're always in control. You know, in the chess game of life, we're always mentally, you know, so many steps ahead. And we also have this false notion that strength shares an inverse relationship with vulnerability. You know, like if you're if you're vulnerable, your capacity for strength is diminished. And people who are vulnerable, well, they can't possibly be strong. And we've been all falsely conditioned to believe that vulnerability is a sign of weakness. So my intention for this podcast and what I would like the listeners to receive is the message that strength comes from embracing our vulnerability and that all of us already have a lot more strength inside of us than we realize. You know, oftentimes it's hard for us to embrace the parts of ourselves that we're uncomfortable with because we do feel alone or broken, deficient. You know, nobody could possibly, nobody in the world could possibly understand what we're going through. And I want this podcast to be that kind of representation and to drive home the message that we can find our strength through our vulnerability. Which brings me to uh, my first intention. Uh, it's very much in keeping with what Sunny just said. I believe that in, in our country or even globally, we're in a battle between connection and disconnection. That has become very clear, especially over the last four years that have been so hard for everyone. And I feel this podcast can help. Through personal stories, I believe we can hear how disconnection in America is its systemic, like Virginia Creeper or Kudzu, and it can show up anywhere, such as, for instance, in our institutions that impact maybe one of our guests' life, such as in the government or the church, in our culture, perhaps impacting the guests in the form of sexual shame, racism, sexism, etc., It can show up in our relationships in the form of codependency with, say, a narcissist, where we're the overgiver to an overtaker, or sometimes within our own mind due to unresolved trauma or attachment injuries. They're often caused by any or all of the above, and the resulting PTSD symptoms can leave us feeling disconnected from our own body or our own loved ones. I know that's heavy for me to say all of that all at once. But my intention is to help you to see the overall big picture of how this is systemic and it's interwoven. Each episode or two will feature a guest's vulnerable story of their struggle out of the weeds of disconnection and stepping into their personal power, connection, sexual and personal truth, healing and meaning, which brings us to Sunny's next intention. I love that you brought up, you know, the connection and the disconnection and that disconnection is what so many of us and I don't like to talk in absolutes, but I'm going to say all of us, it's systemic, you know, and that really sums it up right there. You know, when you learn a new word, right, and suddenly like you've never heard the word before, suddenly you hear it everywhere and you think to yourself like, were people using this word my entire life? And it just flew right over my head the whole time, like to the point where I don't ever recall hearing this word at all, like it never existed before now. But now that you know this word, you suddenly hear it everywhere, all the time. And every time you hear it, it stands out like this shining light. Well, the reasons for this systemic 
disconnection that we all experience are going to be uncovered by the stories that the guests share. You know, little by little, episode by episode, like peeling back the layers of an onion. I know that's a tired metaphor, but that's really what it's like. You know, and every one of those reasons is going to be like that new word that that you just learn. And suddenly you are hearing it everywhere. And you realize that it's been there the whole time. It's been there all along. You just weren't aware of it. As each episode and each new guest story unfolds, our listeners will accumulate a new vocabulary. You know, those new words or more accurately, I guess the words symbolize skills or tools or nuggets of representation. They're what will collectively help us combat our toxic culture of control, bigotry, emotional stagnation, silence, and of course, shame. Shame is a huge one. And With hope, these mini awakenings that our listeners will have, and I know they will have them, you know, while learning from all of these stories that they hear, all added together, they're going to inspire a collective awakening strong enough to knock down those oppressive systems that just keep stifling us. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, people always talk about being uh, codependent with, say, a partner. But what we're talking about is noticing how we're codependent with the larger system, you know, areas that are toxic for us. And so we have a tendency not to notice our relationships, our toxic relationships with, say, the media, where we have a tendency to just hear the personal, you know, we only hear the personal stories of celebrities or individuals who fit in with the dominant culture. And we buy into that's, that's truth. So I'd like to amplify voices that get lost. I'd like to give those a platform who have a vulnerable truth that has not been heard or gets lost. I'd like to amplify and empower those voices. Yeah. And I'd like to also address the truth about relationships Facebook presents pretty stories. And I know on an intellectual level, we understand that people show their best self on Facebook, but I think we still have a tendency to buy into it. I'll tell you what, in my private practice, so often, whether it's an individual or a couple, they so often think that they're the broken one, that they're the weirdo because they have bought into what they've seen in the media or maybe at a party. And so I think through these personal stories, we'll start to see the through line of our collective struggle, that there is really at least a nationwide struggle, if not globally, with codependent relationships that are a reflection of our culture. A lot of narcissists that, and overtakers that are involved with overgivers. So now you might be thinking all this vulnerability can't, you know, vulnerability backfire Isn't being vulnerable, just asking for pain? I understand your worry. Yeah, these are valid concerns. Well, these risks are part of why vulnerability is courage. But let's talk about what healthy vulnerability is. Personally, I believe that, for instance, in relationship, people need to earn your vulnerability. When you first meet someone, even if it's love at first sight, you are only in love with the first layer of that person. There's all these different layers that will be slowly revealed. And it takes time, at least a year, along with experiencing events that test the relationship, that to begin to know if you can trust someone and be vulnerable with them. Especially in LA, God knows there's a lot of narcissists in LA. LA is a beautiful 
city that attracts big, bright lights, but it also attracts narcissists who, for instance, love to love bomb the person that they're dating and may seem like they're being vulnerable and may ask you to be vulnerable. But again, you only know the first layer of their personality, right? And it's so important to take the time before you start being vulnerable and make sure this person has truly earned your trust and they're not someone who is manipulating you in some way. And let's also talk about vulnerability when it comes to social media. Our vulnerability on this podcast that Sunny and I intend to share in our first bios is very intentional. It's thought out and we understand the pros and cons that come with it. And we are professionals that have done a lot of speaking in the public eye. So for anyone listening, if you decide to be vulnerable on social media, perhaps start out super small in a private group with just some people that have earned your trust. And by keeping your bubble small of trusted friends, you reduce the risk of trolls or unsavory characters negatively impacting you. If you decide to have a broader reach, which a lot of people do, please talk to your friends or a therapist or someone you can trust before doing so and, and research the risk involved. in in telling a deep and vulnerable truth. And finally, as a therapist who intends to show some vulnerability in my bio of this episode, in the next episode, in no way am I suggesting that a therapist should discard healthy boundaries in a therapy session with their client. This podcast is a different animal than a therapy session. And what I deem proper regarding boundaries here is very different than what is proper within a therapy session with a client. How side note in 2020, perhaps we do need to reevaluate what healthy boundaries are in a therapy session, but that's a whole different subject. So that brings us back to the podcast and us. So as you alluded to in your bio episode, you know, we decided it wouldn't be fair to ask others to get vulnerable with us if we didn't have the ovaries to do it ourselves. So we're going to be going first. And honestly, personally, I have I have mixed feelings about that kind of a little bit. You know, I've never told my whole authentic, vulnerable, raw story in one whole chunk in one place before. And part of me is excited because I know from experience that, you know, well, it's in our intro, you know, storytelling has power. That's true. It's going to be cathartic for me to get it all out there, all in in one swoop. And, and I know that bits, bits and pieces of it are going to resonate with other people listening, and it might be healing for them too. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, wow, okay, we're going first here. Vulnerability scary. It really is scary. If it wasn't, we'd all be getting uh, vulnerable a lot more often. Heck, you know, we probably wouldn't even be doing this podcast, right? It'd be no big deal. Um, But when we do it, we're all better off for it. But personally, as you'll hear when I tell my story, I come from an environment where keeping secrets is what we did. And I know how isolating and damaging it is to hide those vulnerable parts of ourselves. Storytelling even my personal storytelling, as scary as it might feel, is the antidote to the shame that we carry around all our lives. So you know what? Bring it. Yeah, I hear you. And, you know, just being a therapist and being someone who loves, say, Brene Brown, who talks about shame on the regular, I really do think storytelling has the power to work through our collective shame that that has been instilled by our culture. 
as a therapist, getting vulnerable is emotionally hard on a whole different level and for different reasons. For instance, there's a huge message in a therapist training and in the history of the profession that encourages the therapist to be a blank slate and reveal very little. And some of the reasons behind that are super valid. But, you know, there's another way to look at things. And I have to say that as a sex positive therapist, I feel it's powerful to model a lack of sexual shame. And by being willing to disclose part of my sexual truth in a way that is thoughtful and helpful, I feel that that is a good way of starting to break down sexual shame. Also, our culture often instills shame in sexual abuse survivors. And as a therapist for sexual abuse survivors, I feel it's powerful to disclose that I am a sexual abuse survivor. I feel like that disclosure chips away the message that sexual abuse survivors are broken. It's, it's simply not true. And finally, I, I feel that having a therapist be willing to show some vulnerability begins to shift the narrative that vulnerability is weak, when in actuality, vulnerability is courageous and may even be the key that saves us all, especially in America. So let's address who we want to bring on after our interviews. So anyone with a powerful story that can inspire others, that's from activists to virtually anybody, you know, people from any marginalized group, whether that's LGBTQ+, sex workers, people of color, or the folks that you've never heard on an Oprah or a Barbara Walters interview, like people from sex positive communities, sex positive leaders, non-monogamous people like, you know, swing lifestyle folks, polyamorous folks, or any other hybrid, and porn performers. So if you know somebody with a powerful story, please let us know. All righty. So are you ready to get vulnerable, Sonny? Hell yes, I am. Let's get this going. All righty. So please join us. There is comfort in numbers. So that is our explanation about what this podcast is all, all about. But now I'd like to hand the mic to Sunny for a bit. She's done a lot of hard work understanding some political dynamics that are working to muffle our ability to speak truth and have healthy sexual autonomy. In fact, the birth of this podcast is partially in reaction to these disturbing political efforts that have gone on for quite some time, but lately they're mounting in a really disturbing way. So here's Sunny. Okay, there is a lot going on. There is a much bigger picture here happening politically that not a lot of folks outside of any, you know, sex positive adjacent industry are aware of. And it's not a partisan issue. This is coming from all sides. And these things that are happening will affect every single person that uses the internet. And I'm going to try to explain all of these complex components of what's happening as simply as I can. But I do want listeners to keep one thing in mind. I'm not a tech ethics expert or a censorship expert or U.S. law expert, and I'm not a journalist. My explanation of what's going on is based on my own personal research and experience and familiarity with the business side of sexual health and wellness. So listeners, I encourage you to do your own research on this stuff and form your own opinions. So, all right, 
This is all based on what I know and think. There are a few variables happening all at the same time that are affecting online sex censorship. First is Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996. So what this is, Basically, it stipulates that internet platforms are not publishers. So publishers like the New York Times, for example, they are responsible if one of their journalists says something dangerous or grossly untrue. But Section 230 says that internet platforms are not publishers. It treats the internet kind of like a library. You know, it houses the books, but it's not responsible for the accuracy of the contents within them or the damage that they might cause. So that's one thing. Second thing, in April of 2018, SESTA-FOSTA was passed. Those acronyms stand for the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act and the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. These are obviously anti-sex trafficking bills, which that's great. You know, I, I am all for stopping sex trafficking. Nobody should support sex trafficking. We're all on the same page there. But the way these bills were written, it was very harmful to many people. And by many reports have made trafficking much more difficult to stop. So when it comes to online censorship, a piece of these bills, you know, SESTA-FOSTA, repealed one specific tiny little piece of Section 230 protections. And, and what that did is it made platforms liable if any one of their users used their platform to facilitate sex trafficking. So what that means is if someone sent a Facebook message or an email, right, Facebook or Gmail or whoever would be directly liable for that trafficking. But since it's difficult for platforms to differentiate between what is consensual sex work and even legal sex work and what might be trafficking, platforms just started cracking down on any and all sexual content, you know, just to be safe, just to cover their butts because they don't know what's what. So not only did this negatively affect people who are doing consensual and legal sex work online, a bunch of other people got caught up in the mix too, like massage therapists. They, they suffered financially tremendously because they couldn't advertise online anymore. The platforms were like, well, what do we know what's legit massage therapy and what's a cover for other things? Um, also, people who made uh, non-sexual ASMR content, they were being deleted from YouTube left and right because, again, the platforms couldn't differentiate what was sexual and what might uh, be associated with trafficking from just purely entertainment content that had that didn't have a sexual bend. And also, y'all remember Craigslist casual encounters? So SESTA-FOSTA is why Craigslist counter, sexual encounters no longer exists. Overall, SESTA-FOSTA profoundly changed the way people use the internet for anything sex-related or even anything that could possibly be misconstrued as sex-related. So that was one teeny tiny little result of a very small part of Section 230 being repealed. So currently now in 2020, both Republicans and Democrats, including Joe Biden, they have their eye on repealing all Section 230 protections. 
So that would make platforms liable for anything about any subject users said on any platform. So it would force platforms to enact sweeping censorship, just like they did with sex-related stuff related to SESTA-FOSTA, but for every single thing, every single subject. And to put it very simply, that would not be good, okay? So in addition to all of this going on, there's also a new round of sex censorship that is sweeping the internet may have noticed that most platforms revised their terms of service over the last couple of months. You may be getting emails from Facebook and Instagram and whatnot, and most of these changes are further restricting sexual content. And this also includes things like erotic art, people that, you know, are feeling cute and thought they'd post a sexy picture, you know, aka a thirst trap, Um, those that do online legal sex work, especially those who have OnlyFans pages. So in addition, with all this happening, Visa and MasterCard halted payments on Pornhub. And this happened after an article in the New York Times was published, and it was called The Children of Pornhub. It was written by a Pulitzer Prize winning columnist named Nicholas Kristof. So If you read articles from, there's been many criticisms and many articles printed after this article was printed in early December of 2020, they say that this article demonized adult websites. You know, these adult websites have many protections in place to try to prevent this kind of horrible material from being uploaded from their sites. And at the same time, mainstream sites like Facebook and Twitter in Kristoff's article, were sort of swept under the rug and left off the hook. Now, according to the statistics that Kristoff cited in his own article, and these statistics were from an independent Internet Watch Foundation, in three years, they found 118 instances of child sexual abuse imagery on Pornhub. And we all agree that is 118 too many. That is not a excusable. It should not have happened. However, they also found 12.4 million instances on Facebook in the last three months. So after payments were shut down on Pornhub and, you know, all the other adult sites had to go through tightening of their own regulations in response to this, those in the tech ethics and adult industry started piecing together some very concerning inconsistencies about everything that's gone down in the last couple of months. So first, with these mainstream sites having exponentially more instances of underage material on their platforms with few protections and procedures in place to address it, they weren't being scrutinized or restricted like the adult sites were. Why? You know, other tech and adult industry journalists found evidence of Kristoff's connection with an anti-trafficking group called Exodus Cry. Now, Exodus Cry is a nonprofit Christian advocacy organization who, in addition to being anti-sex trafficking, which again, we should all be anti-sex trafficking, 
They also aim to abolish the legal commercial sex industry. This includes pornography, strip clubs, and consensual sex work. So many people theorize that Exodus Cry is behind this latest crackdown and everything that's been going on online. And it is a crackdown on legal sex work. And it is a horrible time to be restricting online sex workers. We have COVID-19. So many people are out of work due to the pandemic, and they've turned to sites like OnlyFans to earn a living. You know, for many people, that's their only income that's keeping their children fed and keeping a roof over their heads. And now they're having that income taken away from them. So in addition to all that, like it's not over yet, there's even more, right? In addition to all this, there's a new bill called CECIA. It stands for Stop Internet Sexual Exploitation Act. I'm not going to get into the, all the, the nitty gritty, but in, in summary, it puts ridiculous restrictions on legal online sex work. You know, sites like OnlyFans or clip sites, cam sites, phone sex sites, that sort of thing. It was introduced in December with bipartisan support. So it basically very well could put many independent content sites out of business and also, in turn, many independent contractors, people who are putting their food on the table and putting a roof over their heads from having, you know, OnlyFans sites, for example. And like the other measures before it, it's designed to combat something noble, you know, that everybody is against. Everyone wants sex trafficking and child pornography stopped. Of course we do. But like SESTA-FOSTA, it really appears to a lot of people to be a cover for eradicating all consensual porn and sex work from the internet. Many experts believe, just like SESTA-FOSTA, it will leave victims more vulnerable and without resources while it penalizes consensual you know, legal adult content creators. So additionally, you know, and this is where we come in. All of these measures have collateral damage, just like we saw with SESTA-FOSTA. We're even starting to see this now on some of the social media platforms that have changed their terms of service this December. The most restrictive have been Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Along with restricting, quote, titillating sexual material, people like sexuality educators, sex therapists, LGBTQ plus activists, and a lot more are being censored along with sexual material. As we said, when we have these conversations and educate, it can be life changing for people. It helps LGBTQ plus teens living in small conservative towns who feel like they have no hope. It helps them realize it gets better. These conversations help people recognize abuse in their own lives and their own relationships and to seek help. These conversations literally save lives. So with all of these latest terms of service changes on Facebook, Instagram, we can no longer say the word sex or sexuality without the fear of our posts or profiles being completely deleted. And I have seen this happening with my colleagues over the last few weeks. It's bad. You know, how do you talk about sexual assault victims advocacy if you can't say the word sex? That's a problem. 
So this censorship, you know, caused by seemingly unrelated things, you know, all of these little pieces that I told you about, they have one common goal, and that's to shut down anything having to do with sex in any capacity online, even the things that might be very loosely interpreted as sex, like artists drawing tasteful nudes, cosplayers showing off their latest you know, outfits, trans activists educating people about their journey, people legitimately advocating for victims of sexual assault and trafficking and, and a lot more. And this censorship of legal consensual online sex work is a slippery slope to shutting down all of these crucial conversations and life-saving education. Yeah. And to quote a dear friend of mine who is a sex worker, she's a tantrika and pro-dom. She said, often Porn and sex workers are the canaries in the coal mine. You remember how they would send the canary down to, to see if it mm -hmm. passed out and died? So meaning that once you legally chip away at a sex worker's agency online and the agency of other folks with professions that are sex themed, like sex educators and sex therapists on the Internet, then in the eyes of the law, oftentimes there's a new precedent that has been set. And as you know, past precedent is a big deal when it comes to the law. And then once that past precedent is, is set, then those new laws sometimes can be applied to different businesses that have nothing to do with sex. It can be applied to other areas of the internet that have nothing to do with sex. And therefore, it can have this larger impact on the public at large. And so these concerns are the reason this podcast is so important. We are here to speak truth, the kind of truth that certain people and organizations are attempting to shut down, especially now. And so I hope you join us. And in doing so, find the open, deeply rebel in your own heart. Right, Sunny? I love that you said, find the open, deeply rebel in your own heart. That hits home. That hits home in my heart. So I have a friend who is, you know, a rock star from the 80s and whatnot. And he's played with pig face and ministry and whatnot. And I just bought a t-shirt from him with a saying that he says that ah uh, hits at home. It says, education is the new punk rock. And I feel that's what we're doing here. And yes, it's education. It's also vulnerability. So welcome to the new punk rock. Let's get this going. Yes. Thank you for listening. Find us online at opendeeplypodcast.com and on social media at Kate Marie or at Sunny Megatron. Check back bi-weekly for new episodes. And until next time, remember, your authentic truth is only found when you dare to open deeply. Intro and outro voice by the queen goddess, Frenchie Davis. Intro and outro music by the Baltimore Bull, Rob Barrett.